millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about uh, Mao Zedong's um, 100 Flowers campaign of 1957. Um, The reason I'm going to be talking about this is uh, I think it has um, an important relevance to the way um, we look at not just um, Chinese um, politics uh, during the, the Maoist era, but also the relationship between Maoism and Soviet communism, which is a, a complex one and one which has real sort of bearing on, particularly on the, uh, um, the, the inner workings of Maoism in the 1950s. And with that in mind, before we look at Mao, we need to look at Khrushchev and Khrushchev's secret speech of 1956, um, which is really the thing that, that triggers um, the political events in China in 1957. Khrushchev, um, as we've already seen, I did a podcast a while back on the secret speech, um, denounced Stalin three years after his death. In um, 1956, there's a um, special um, session at the 20th Party Conference, uh, or Congress, I beg your pardon, uh, which is um, reserved only for um, senior party members and um, foreign um, party members um, are excluded, and so are foreign journalists. And um, uh, Khrushchev denounces the, the legacy of Stalin. The effect this has on Mao, when Mao eventually hears about it uh, some time later, is um, uh, deeply uh, deeply alarming to him. Uh, Mao uh, looks upon himself as um, Stalin's protege in China, and really had uh, introduced many of the kind of the, the standard aspects of Stalinism, from forced collectivization to five-year plans to slave labor camps, uh, dis- the destruction of China's bourgeoisie, um, and a, um, a war against the intelligentsia and the uh, Chinese intellectuals. These were all lifted directly from sort of Stalin's playbook, and were even. Um, pursued when Stalin was suggesting tactical withdrawals and um, tactical kind of abandonments of certain uh, aspects of his own own doctrine. 
uh, Mao really trying to be kind of to out Stalin, Stalin in a way. Um, so the um, secret speech itself has huge repercussions across uh, the um, communist world. It has um, a, it incites a, an uprising in Hungary, and it has a, a huge effect on uh, on Mao's uh, regime. And by 1956, the economic problems. Um, that the communists have claimed to um, be able to um, deal with uh, at the end of the civil war haven't been alleviated. In fact, for many people, they are far, far worse. Um, the historian Frank Dakota, um, of whom I've mentioned before, um, says that probably about 5 million people died in the period 1945 to 1956-57, um, largely at the hands of the communists, either through um, execution or famine. The social revolution that Mao attempts to impose upon China um, has bloody and horrific consequences, and the, 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 the revolution can in some ways be summarised as a, uh, an attempt to sweep away the existing structures of Chinese society so that essentially one primary relationship remains and that is the relationship between the individual and the state. Um, the, this is obviously never fully realised um, though in many instances it, it, it uh, comes very close. And by 1956 the Communist Party has become extremely unpopular Communist Party um, has um, been seen uh, amongst not only the peasants but also workers in the cities as not the uh, source of their liberation but the source of much of their misery and the um, implications amongst the intelligentsia of um, Khrushchev's secret speech uh, and amongst other party members is um, is clear, and some we learned some interesting stuff here about Mao's position, in that um, the uh, official uh, organs of the party, party newspapers, and um, and other media, uh, which were the um, time-honored ways in uh, communist China of articulating um, the party and Mao's views and indicating to the people that change was in the air. They start to distance themselves from some of the tenets of Maoist thinking. and uh, They start to um, distance themselves what, from what appears to have been the development of a cult of personality. And Mao himself becomes increasingly isolated. Um, this is something that we, we tend not to take into account when we think of dictators like Stalin or Hitler or Mao, that periodically they can become uh, potentially vulnerable figures to the parties, the organs and the institutions of state that surround them. They can become um, isolated and, um, and, as I said, vulnerable. Um, and this, in this period of time, this is precisely what happens to Mao. Mao's strategy is to attempt to um, use the people against the bureaucracy. So Mao feels threatened by um, bureaucracy, he feels threatened by um, echelons of the party, and he has a very canny strategy, kind of backfires on him, as we'll see, but it's, um, you know, 
10 out of 10 for trying. He basically says, sure, yeah, okay, we've made, mis we, we've made mistakes. By we, I mean the party. The party's made mistakes. The party, um, similarly to what's happened in Hungary, he says, you know, um, the party has uh, failed to listen to the people. We have failed to fully um, grasp what the people want. And at times we've become too um, authoritarian, too high-handed. We have become too much focused on what the what the party thinks is right. He said of Hungary, by the way, he said that the um, the the Hungarians were at risk of confusing legitimate dissent with uh, you know the troublemaking um, mischief of the of the West of the British and the Americans and all the and and the capitalist powers who are no doubt sending their secret agents over there to to stir up discontent. And he's he then says to the party. You're the same, by the way. You've been guilty of um, in, in essentially ignoring the legitimate wants of the people, which is, of course, as as we know, um, uh, an astounding act of political hypocrisy on Mao's part, because his the the um, majority of the most oppressive and violent policies really emanate directly from himself, uh, from his own ideas, whims, beliefs. Um, and his own um, dictates to people like Chu Enlai and uh, Deng Xiaoping. In order to um, facilitate this move against the party, whom he now feels threatened by, he uh, encourages the uh, open expression of dissent. He encourages the open expression of dissent from the, um, from the public um, and from various bodies and institutions that he has oppressed in the past. Um, the uh, explosion of anger from the peasants, from workers who um, attack party cadres in the villages and in towns and cities, and who, uh, within the workers' case, go and strike um, and threaten open revolt, uh, really astounds Mao. Mao spends his days in the uh, the inner sanctum of the Communist Party, a place called Zhongnanhai, um, and is very much cut off from the rest of the world. He has little um, dealings directly with China, uh, per se, and um, is understandably uh, none the wiser about how the Chinese people are likely to react, and deluded in much in a way that Hitler had become... Um, deluded um, and slightly divorced from reality, as Hitler was at the end of the war, um, as to the, the the experience of ordinary Chinese people, which had been nothing short of horrific in many, many cases. Mao sparks much of the um, opening up of dissent when he makes a speech called um, in the start of 1957, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In February, uh, entitled On the Correct Handling of Contradictions Among the People. Um, and this was really a speech that um, explored um, what he viewed as being the the failings of the of the revolution, um, and now um, the uh, idea that it was going to be okay for ordinary Chinese people to speak out. Frank Dakota argues really that um, the uh, hundred flowers campaign, as it comes to be known, Mao essentially says, "Let a, a hundred fla- a, a hundred flowers bloom. Let a hundred schools contend. Let let let's have a diversity, a range of ideas." Mao didn't think that this would involve uh, a flowering of uh, oppositional ideas. He thought it would create a, um, a a support base amongst the population against the party, and so that Mao could reach out beyond the party machine um, to the public who would help him really tame the party back under his control. Um, and Frank Dakota says this was essentially a strategy uh, and it, it doesn't work. Um, the view of Jung Chang, who wrote the famous book Wild Swans, um, she says in, in essence, from her point of view, um, it was simply a ruse to root out um, oppositional uh, people, um, you know, the the counter-revolutionary types, uh, who Mao was um, uh, waging an eternal war against anyway. I think you know I'm with probably leaning more towards Frank Dakota on this one. Um, I think that what we tend to do when we look at dictators is credit them with too much evil genius, too much um, tactical. Um, savvy and yet they are um, often um, people who try different initiatives things don't work things do work and they um, attempt to make um, you know uh, political gambles uh, and they 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 backfire I think that um, all these figures have in common Mao Hitler Stalin um, uh, Khomeini, you know, you name them, is that they, they tend to have a kind of in, innate ability to uh, quickly scramble to shore up their position, to um, rectify mistakes or to uh, undo things that have gone wrong. Uh, and, and I think this is what happens in, in this case. 
In the beginning, in 1956, of the uh, new mood of um, openness and criticism, the state doesn't appear to come in for much, um, much open criticism to start with anyway. And so um, Mao has a, um, a word with um, Chu Enlai, who is then encouraged um, via the um, bureaucracy to, to um, incentivize the Chinese intelligentsia to speak out. These are people who have been absolutely broken by the previous decade of communist rule. The um, arrest, imprisonment, torture um, and um, execution of countless intellectuals um, has, was followed by, was accompanied by uh, public denunciations and thought meetings where um, intellectuals were forced to um, endure um, hours, sometimes even days, of um, criticism from uh, party members and members of the public or forced to um, recant their views and publicly denounce themselves um, for after uh, for hours and hours and hours, which is a physically and mentally uh, breaking thing, and so understand it's understandable that they might be a bit reticent to venture forth with their opinions on the party. By early 1957, Mao has essentially said that um, it is required that intellectuals uh, and in the intelligentsia um, criticise. Uh, and indeed that um, there is something suspect about those who do not. And if those who um, do not direct their criticism against the bureaucracy and against the party, um, there, there might be questions about their, uh, their suitability as uh, citizens in the new China. So this um, leaves the intelligence in a quandary, and many began the, begin the process of speaking out, though there are several who are still extremely cautious. It's perhaps when the um, flow of criticism becomes a deluge um, and involves public demonstrations, and particularly focuses on the venality and the corruption of the party, um, that Mao starts to say that there is essentially legitimate and illegitimate criticism, and the Ill illegitimate criticism really outweighs that which is acceptable or allowed. And this is where Mao and then Deng Xiaoping um, begin to have serious misgivings about what's happening um, and believe that the the, uh, the genie must now be put back into the bottle. And Deng Xiaoping um, says, you know, this, this must be done with considerable violence too. When the crackdown came, it was uh, referred to as the, an anti-rightist campaign. So the um, legitimate criticisms of the Communist Party that had been encouraged by Mao um, were now labelled as uh, rightist counter-revolutionary thought and Mao spent no time, uh, lost no time in galvanising uh, groups of um, party uh, activists and um, secret policemen to arrest intellectuals who were um, espousing offending ideas um, and to um, arrange mass trials and the deportation to labour camps um, of those who were considered to be the worst offenders. The uh, process of um, 
the Hundred Flowers campaign and the anti-rightist campaign that follows it um, appears to have greatly shaken Mao. Um, it appears to have uh, shown Mao um, that he could be vulnerable and that um, the public um, could not particularly be trusted if you let them uh, off the leash. And it also puts Mao in a rather difficult position regarding the rest of the party because um, he's shown um, this lack of judgment throughout the uh, the campaign and throughout the reactionary crackdown that follows it and needs to really um, have uh, an initiative that um, puts him back in charge that gives him control of events and control of party policy once more um, and this emerges in the guise of the Great Leap Forward which was Mao's um, attempt to uh, thrust China using centralised uh, economic planning and production targets and quotas uh, into the top tier of economic nations um, and the result um, is uh, an economic and humanitarian catastrophe which dwarfs really anything else in the 20th century with perhaps as many as 45 to 50 million um, who are dead from starvation uh, by the early 1960s. This is obviously um, the topic for a slightly later podcast but it's important to see, I think, the relationship between um, things such as the Hundred Flowers campaign and the Great Leap Forward um, as a kind of a kind of continuum of um, kind of catastrophe politics within the People's Republic of China uh, that begin in uh, 1949, and um, you'd like to think end in 1976 when Mao dies, but unfortunately limp on for a good while after that. Anyway, I hope you find this useful and um, I will be recording my customary annual um, exam advice tips and helps podcast uh, in the next few days or so. So if you're studying uh, your A-levels, if you're, the big day is drawing near, Stay tuned and I will hopefully have some words of comfort for you um, as, as we draw close. Um, and uh, in the meantime, try not to stress, eh? Next up on the podcast, um, to be recorded later in the week, is going to be a uh, review of Richard Crowder's brilliant book, um, Aftermath, The Making of the Post-War World After 1945, and uh, a discussion of the uh, Atlantic Charter meeting between Churchill and Roosevelt at Placentia Bay. Um, big thanks to everyone that's been supporting the podcast so far. We hit uh, the golden figure of 35,000 yesterday, so go us. Anyway, I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.